Today is October 19th. Welcome to Native Calgarian Oki Naganago Mekoche Chestakom Aki or Dakotes Nagotene Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake Tribe in Treaty 11. My name is Dakotes Nagotene Siku. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Tene Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower, a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act imposed status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or Indigenous 2SLGBTQ2 plus community and, the, and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socio-economic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share my road as I walk down the red road. As a Dene woman who's attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have work to do, work to continue. Uh, reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, and I hope we honor the many Indigenous peoples lost for this so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping harm and as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation and as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never be just one month as it is important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all people to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee or other land displacement. So we as indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression, or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101, because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Wente's book on Reconciled explains this perfectly as do many other indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but uh, that would be a part of the treaty partnership, part of meaningful reconciliation, 
and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I honor the Blackfoot and the elders as members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane uh, taught me how to pronounce to say my name in Blackfoot and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders, language keepers, as I learn proper pronunciation. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south and the opposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands, all non-Indigenous or treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And with that, I'd like to welcome a couple of guests that I have to here with me today to talk about um, the drug crisis and harm reduction. Would you like to introduce yourself in your way? Absolutely. Um, my name is Ophelia. This is my mom, Mariana. We are both absolutely honored to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Our pronouns are both she, her, and we are originally from Hungary. My mom moved here in 1999, and I was born here, but my heritage is from Hungary. Uh, we would also like to acknowledge that we are very, very honored to live, work, and play on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Nation, including the Siksika, the Kainai, and the Pekani, the Tsutina Nations, the um, Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation of Region 3, and all people of native status in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Thank you so much for having us here today. And in the spirit of reconciliation, we are very, very honored to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what brought, here, brought you here today? Would you like to introduce kind of more who you are and uh, some of the things that you advocate for? Um, I advocate for harm reduction. I am also an active opiate user. Uh, I have previously been addicted to fentanyl and struggled very, very heavily with substance use. I tried to get sober using traditional methods like Suboxone and Methadone, but none of them worked for me and actually resulted in me feeling very, very sick, feeling very, very out of it, throwing up around the clock. And I would almost say exacerbated the mental and physical suffering that led to me using substances in the first place. So now I am very, very fortunate to have a doctor who supports me and who 
was willing to try an alternative method of treatment. I am prescribed hydromorphone. I take a set amount. I have not needed a dose increase since February, which I think is very, very telling of the stability that I've achieved. Um, I have a specific schedule that I follow to ensure that I am only taking doses exactly when I need to and not, not even five seconds sooner. And I work in activism to educate people who are in a similar situation to me about what they can do to reduce the harms that they are doing through substance use to themselves and to their families, to help them better communicate with the people around them, to help the people around them understand why getting sober might not be the right move for them, and to help communities understand why substance use is such a massive issue. Because I believe that we have been trying to push abstinence for a very, very long time. We have been trying to push rehab for a very long time and it's not working. And I think it's time to try something new that meets everyone where they are at without diminishing who they are as a person and allows them to take charge and allows them to exercise their own autonomy and allows them to have a specific treatment plan that works for them rather than following a one size fits all method. And my mom is here to support me because with the new legislation that has been released, I might be losing access to my prescription completely. And this is a absolutely terrifying time for both of us because a lot of direct harms could result from losing my prescription. Uh, Mom, did you want to add anything? Well, I am just here to support her and show how much I love her unconditionally. And uh, I don't know what to say. She's she's an amazing child, and and I am I'm very happy that uh, that I have her, and uh, I just want to make sure that she's safe and happy, and um, I can I can assure you that this was a really really difficult couple of years that we went through more than well since 2020. And I see so much improvement ever since she has her prescribed medication compared to the illegal toxic street supply that um, if there is anything I can do to keep her safe and alive, I wanna make sure that it, it, it is done and never, never go back to the, to the street supplies. This is also a very important issue because with the new legislation, the reason that I might be losing access to my prescription is because the new legislation says that for prescriptions like mine, doctors can no longer prescribe it to be picked up at the nearest pharmacy. So anyone who cannot be stabilized on Suboxone has to physically go downtown to the clinic every single time that they want to take a dose. And for a lot of people, for anyone really who doesn't live directly downtown, this is not feasible. It can't be done. 
So that's also why this is a really, really important issue because while they are not outright saying that I can't have my prescription anymore, they are taking away access to it. They are making it inaccessible to me. They are making it inaccessible to so many people who might need this treatment. And I, that needs to change. That cannot fly. Yeah, well, I, I do think it's really important that our listeners, uh, we, we have uh, half of our listeners in our, are in Alberta, the other half are in um, Ontario, and a few all across the world. And what I try to tell people is how harmful these policies are. And when I ran, um, I ran municipally and I ran provincially. And of course, I had harm reduction right on my campaign sign. But the average voter doesn't know anything about politics, doesn't know anything about the orders of government, doesn't know who to vote for, and falls obviously for lies and misinformation before listening to evidence and reality. And so I have a question for you both about, um, you know, how you perceive changing this and do you see it through politics or do you through, see it through a different way? Um, I would say that honestly, I don't think that politics should have any role in medicine. I don't think that politicians should be making decisions about what treatments can be offered and in what way they can be offered. Because for instance, one of the things that my doctor said to me is that looking at my chart, we have so much objective and subjective evidence that this is significantly helpful to me, that this is where I need to be right now. And she said that like, there is not a single doctor who has been through medical school, who practices medicine, who looking at my chart would recommend that I lose access to my prescription. But politicians are not doctors. Politicians do not work with patients. They have not been through medical school. They don't understand the nuance of various medical treatments. So I, I don't think that the government should have a place in deciding what medical treatments are offered. They should have a place. Well, that's, the, I'm not going to get into that because that's <laughs> controversial, but they should not there have a place. to be controversial here. At the end of the day, the average Canadian, uh, especially settler, has no concept what I'm talking about. They just tune right out because they are willfully ignorant. Yeah. So you're allowed to be so-called controversial here because if you're not following abstinent Christian English protocols, you're considered radical in this country, which is absolutely ridiculous. We should be following the evidence. We should yeah. be listening to our medical community. And I'm sad to say until the pharmacists that produce the drug that you are taking lobby the government, it won't change. And only then once they do, will it change? Just like exactly. guns lobbying and business lobbying and whatever other lobbying you can think of. Until yeah. that's done, politicians don't care. All they care no. about is campaign money in order to get reelected. That's yeah. it. And yeah. have a whole, you know, pharmaceutical company saying, hey, this is wrong, doing active campaigning against them, only then will they actually change. And in yeah, the meantime, that means you've lost your uh, ability to access your, your medication, your ability to, um, you know, continue being successful 
in your yeah that's exactly the problem in your your recovery yeah. i I, I, I'm not even sure if that person who put his signature on this legislation is fully aware of the circumstances of drug users. I don't think that he understands that we live an hour and a half away from this clinic. An hour and a half to two hours. To both way, both yeah. ways. Yeah. And I don't think he knows that that clinic is closed after 3.45. Well, apparently it's closed after like six now, but it, it's and, not feasible. Well, I, I, I don't, I, I honestly can't see anyone traveling three times to downtown per day. And additionally, like another thing that my doctor has told me is that for most people, it would be even more. I have worked very, very hard to get to the point where I can take three doses per day. But for most people, they take doses like every hour, for yeah. instance. And that's just one of the realities of addiction because addiction doesn't just clock out when business hours end. Yeah. Addiction is something that a lot of people suffer from. And a lot of people as well, they have to take doses way more often. I have worked so hard to get to the point that I am at. I used to take six per day, then five, then four. I worked my way down to three. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of time sitting in withdrawal, making sure that I was waiting until exactly the right time. It took so much hard work, but even with just the three doses per day that I take at one and a half to two hours per trip, that's 12 hours on transit per day. Yep. I would not be able to get anything else done. No. And ironically, even a lot of Albertans all of my doses. themselves on being folks that are, um, you know, able to cope with their addictions, ironically. So we, my dad and I, we always talked about functioning addicts. Well, as long yeah. as they can work and pay their bills, we don't give a shit. This is literally the attitude we had for a long, long time because we have so many friends and family that just were in active addiction. And yeah. for us, that was the best way. We're in Alberta. We're in Fort McMurray. My dad was a boilermaker. You know, like this was just the way of life. And uh, so yeah. I just, you know, it's so ironic that we have an outsider from, uh, you know, Ontario come here and then in place put in place the, this legislation he has no concept what it's like to live and work here in any capacity and for him to actually take away your choices um i'm not i'm not gonna lie like to me uh politicians are the dirtiest dogs uh, oh yeah you know, obviously all they care about is power um, oh, and yeah adding their bank accounts like how did Stephen Harper become a multimillionaire as along with all of his other friends, right? Like it's, it's just disgusting and gross, but we're in Calgary, Alberta, where everybody's like, oh my God, I just love Stephen Harper. I just want to lick him. I'm going to lick his shoes because he was a god. Ralph Klein, what a king. I remember when he cut all the uh, services for Asian mental health. And now we have people who are homeless who should never be homeless. And yeah. uh, for anybody who is a worshiper of uh, Ralph Klein, I challenge you to read Kevin Taft's books. They're simple reads, they're easy reads, they're available everywhere. There's zero excuse for you to be perpetuating this myth and ideology that Ralph Klein was a good man because 
He has a lot of blood on his hands for what he did for cuts to mental health in this country and, and stifling so many issues. Um, has he did good things? Of course he did. But at the end of the day, I'm here to honor the lives lost. And I know lives have been lost because of consecutive conservative governments that the people voted in purposefully and in order to create this issue now where you are going to not be able to do anything but focus on getting um, the prescription that you need because of the barriers that they've set in place. And your mother rightfully said, I don't think he knows. I, I would actually say he does know. I think these are evil, evil people that want people to die. I, I believe that in the core of my soul after I've seen what they've done both federally and provincially. And the people who vote the, for them believe that too. It's like a strong eugenics belief system that's um, here in Alberta. And uh, so I, I actually, I don't respect the politicians who have purposely put in these type of policies because I know it's eugenics and I know what they're doing is creating um, so much pain and suffering, not just for yourself, but for your family and for people who love you. And uh, I also want to applaud you for working so hard at uh, trying to find the right combination to try to find the right uh, doctor to, to work with you. Because as a First Nation woman, I can tell you how difficult it is. Um, right yeah. now I have uh, paperwork in front of me that I have to fill out to the College of Pharmacies because a pharmacist here locally that I used to get all of my prescriptions from uh, discriminated against me and was more concerned about getting an audit than he was about just giving me my uh, Narcan a day. So he discriminated against me, he uh, created barriers for me, and now I have to lodge a complaint against the Alberta College of Pharmacists in order to give, create any change because unlike other First Nation women, I am not going to put up with that bullshit because I have a little girl and she's 15 and she should not have to face these barriers no person should have to face barriers of accessing Narcan that they rightfully have a prescription to. But we're in Alberta and we don't like women and we sure don't like people of color and we sure don't like people with addiction issues and we sure don't like homeless people. And, and at, at a certain point, I wonder what Christian values do you bring here other than hate? So I, I, I appreciate that kindness that you, you showed our elected officials to actually think that they care um, and they just are ignorant, but it's not. It is willful. It is willful. Yeah. It is pur purposeful. It is evil. And I, I don't respect people who have helped these people get elected and or are, you know, perpetuating them as good people because they're not. They are evil, evil people. And I'm really yeah. sorry that you are being put into this position. And I've been trying to educate folks about these issues. And I just know that it goes in one ear and out the other because people think it's not their problem. Yet when you sit and you talk to them, I can tell you like non-Indigenous friends that I've lost to addiction. I can tell you Indigenous friends I've lost to addiction. And at a certain point, I have to ask like, how many friends do you have to lose? How many family yeah. members do you have to lose before you get this issue? Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like ever since I fell into addiction, I have noticed the difference in how like even nurses for instance, treat me, but especially lately, especially like this month, seeing the new legislation that the government has 
created. Like my mom is optimistic that maybe they don't know. Absolutely. But I fully feel like they don't care. You know, like, I, I'm just going to be another dead addict to them. And I, I am, don't want to be a dead addict. I'm losing my optimism, you know, because if, so if they are ignorant and they don't understand, then there is a, there is a chance that they listen to us and they say, oh, we have no idea what you are going through and let's work together and, and see how we can solve this. Sorry that we didn't understand the nature of your addiction or the treatment that you are receiving. But if they are purposefully doing this, which then, they are, then, then, what, then there is no hope. Like they don't care. They, yeah. they, it's, it's just a number that how many, like, you know, how many thousands of people have died in addiction since January. So plus one. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, you know, this is my child. It's not a plus one on the list of lost lives, but this is my child who I cared for and loved her entire life. Right. Yeah. That you birthed, you breastfed. Holy. I know. I, I, I can't imagine writing off life yeah and like she she was also a fantastic mom like she she really she did her best but my brain just doesn't work the way it was supposed to and that's like the saddest thing to me that I never wanted to live to 18. I actually started using opiates because I was hoping it would kill me that's what I wanted but like for the first 19 years of my life I didn't know what happiness felt like I had no idea I was very, very angry. I was very, very depressed. I was struggling all the time. I didn't know what happiness felt like, but now I know. Now I know what it's supposed to feel like. And now I have fallen in love with life. I have stopped using all street substances. I've I've stopped smoking cigarettes. I've decreased the nicotine content of my vaping. I'm likely going to quit vaping completely as long as I retain access to my prescription. I no longer take risks. I value my health and my safety. And like, I love being alive. I am so happy to be alive, but I need my prescription as the foundation for that. And if, if, if I had been faced with dying before I was 18, I would have been thrilled, but that's just not where I am anymore because, because you now know, I have that foundation. So what I was thinking that there are so many ailments of the body, so many medical issues that requires medication. And it seems to me that there is certain illness that those people don't deserve treatment. If, if you come up with any sort of illness you're, you go to your doctor, he prescribes you something, you take it to the pharmacy, you get your medication and, you, and you, you manage your life. If you have mental health and addiction, it, it's, it's not the same treatment. It's yeah. just, it just feels to me that there is a group of people who don't deserve to be saved or healed or, yeah. you know, and it's also, also it, it's it so seems, terrifying. And it seems to me that that addiction is a uncurable illness, could be managed, mm-hmm. but it's not curable. And shouldn't we give those people a chance to 
get a hold on their on their on their yeah. on their illness. Yeah, and as well, like I also, along with the mental illness and addiction piece, I also used to struggle with debilitating migraines and a way too fast heart rate, things like that. Like there is more that this medication does for me than just manage my addiction. Mm -hmm. It does so much for me. And like, that's physical pain. Like the migraines are physical pain, but because I am an addict, they don't care. My doctor even like, she told them that I'm willing to compromise. I have offered to get a security camera, which will record with timestamps whenever I am preparing my doses so that they can see that I am the one who is taking my medication and submit those videos. I would be willing to video chat with a nurse every single time I take my dose so that it's supervised. I already call NORS every single time I am taking a shot, Mm. like to make sure that I have that supervision. I would be willing to take the bus down to the clinic twice a week and do a drug test because if I do it twice a week, any fentanyl or anything like that would not have time to leave my system. Mm-hmm. So that would conclusively prove that I'm not like diverting my medication, which is what they claim to be worried about, but they don't care. No, they, they don't care. No. And it doesn't matter a, what compromises I offer. If yeah. there is a will, there is a way. That's what they say, right? Yeah. If, if they wanted to work this out and help individual cases to find a solution there would be a way agreed it's just they don't i don't it doesn't seem to me that they really are interested in in helping individual well honestly i think it's just like the abortion debate they just want to control people it's not really about caring about life they just want to control people because if they truly cared about life then they would trust the doctors, they trust the system yeah. and let you continue to be the way you were working with this. Like, geez, it's it's um, the, the barriers that we face politically. And, um, and even in the States, there was some uh, woman who had no idea, Republican. So Republican is the equivalent to a crappy conservative here. And uh, she needed um, a DNC after a miscarriage. And she was like, I had no idea my legislation would deny me um, this opportunity. And I'm like, well, maybe you should have thought of that before you not only proposed it, but voted for your stupid legislation. Like, you know, and that's the ironic part. Like every stampede uh, we have uh, for eight to 12 weeks after stampede, the uh, abortion clinic is right full because everybody's had their, you know, affairs and they've got their accidental pregnancies and now it's time to get rid of those accidental pregnancies and they go and they get their abortions and it's like it's just a matter of time until the conservatives somehow manage to figure out how to shut all that down too and then their own girlfriends and wives are going to be in big trouble and going to be doing illegal things in back alleys just like the way unfortunately this is going to go and you're going to have an unsafe um, poison drug supply on the streets to be going to instead of working with doctors who are willing to prescribe this but politicians who want to take over the entire process and voters who are too stupid to do anything about it like it that yeah. is what's so frustrating to me uh indigenous people we come to the table with reports and and solutions all the time and the average voter is like oh my god i don't even know what a land acknowledgement is and so it's like, well, then I, I can't help you. <laughs> I don't, I, I can't give you more evidence. I can't give you more lived experience. We can't give you more information. We have books, we have 
podcasts, we have videos, we have so much information for folks. And yeah. it goes in one ear and out the other because they're not the ones funding their damn campaigns. And it's mm-hmm. just disgusting. Yeah, and we have to be willing to listen and we have to be willing to do the work. Yeah, exactly. Well, we do, like as people. We I meant we like as like settlers. Yeah, exactly. I meant we, we as a settler. We as people all are doing that work. But settlers, it is so easy to just watch a Flames game, have some Timmies and just not care about the world and blame Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau for all the problems that literally who they're voting for are causing. So I I don't know. To me, that's a a big issue. And I I was hoping that we'd see more uh, leadership from the medical community, but they're all Christian settlers who don't give a crap about nothing and have their six figures and go play golf every other day. So they don't care either. And that's the really upsetting part is that you and I, we are on the streets dealing with folks who actually have addiction and they're so far removed. They don't even have to worry about it. And I'm, I pray for you. I pray for all the folks that are, are on the streets and uh, in active addiction, because lots of folks live in nice little homes and have active addiction, mm-hmm. pay their rent. And landlords who want rent money, you'd think you'd want to take care of folks enough to get your rent money, but no, nope, not in this society. It's like the yeah. dark times of the industrial revolution. It's like, we need those six-year-olds working in camps. <laughs> yeah. Although like, I am so lucky with my, with my doctor, but I also feel terrible for her because like, this is, worrying her so much that she is literally losing sleep over worrying about me and about what's going to happen if the government goes forward with this yeah I know it's not just me that it's going to affect it's going to affect people who struggle with addiction who don't live right downtown it's going to affect people who for instance aren't able to just clock out their addiction when business hours end because what's going to happen when the clinic is closed. And I'm sure that they know that. And I'm sure that they know that people are going to need to top up and then they'll look at the failed urine tests and they'll say, see, harm reduction doesn't work. We tried it. It doesn't work. Yeah, I know. There's never been, um, you know, an honest effort. Um, yeah. nothing I I'm on high blood pressure pills and I think the absolute trigger I thought I was having a heart attack but I think it was a panic attack we had a um an honest conversation with Pug at one of the community Huxley that's all anyway dogs are welcome on the show um <laughs> Well, you know, it's just that bigger picture of uh, we had a group of neighbors that were more concerned about their property value than they were about saving lives and having a safe function site. So, you know, at the end of the day, these are the voters that are voting in these inhumane, evil people in order to, yeah. you know, allow folks who are struggling and, you know, need help. And honestly, to me, so I talk about open genocide on Indigenous people. that's all this is yeah Yeah. and it's it feels as well like the government and like a lot of voters don't see addicts as people they just see us as addict and nothing else I am I'm a person my favorite living thing in this world is my cat who is lying at the edge of the bed 
I love to cross stitch. I love to paint. I am very, very passionate about biology and chemistry. I love to take my dog for walks. I do my best to respond well to constructive criticism when someone gives it to me, because the way I see it is that criticism isn't about changing who I am as a person. It's changing the way that I interact with them. So I do my best to respond well. And I do my best to be honest. I do my best to be kind. I'm going to pause you. You need to be paused here. Nobody has the right to tone police you. Just because they don't understand and they are so insecure and because they don't have the, um, you know, wherewithal to just shut up and listen, doesn't give them the right to tone police you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I draw the line between are they asking me to change who I am or are they asking me to change the way that I interact? Like if a close friend of mine says like, you know, hey, I love you, I care about you, but this little thing that you do bothers me, then I, I will change the way that I interact with that person as long as they're not asking me to change who I am as a person. But there is definitely a line to draw there, like where do I make those changes? But like my point is, is that like, I'm a person. I have a personality, I have flaws, I have things I love about myself. I'm not just a nameless, faceless addict and no one is. Everyone has personalities, everyone has pain, everyone has trauma that they have gone through or mental illness issues. And I really wish that people would understand that when they are doing things that are going to cause addicts to lose their lives, they're doing things that will cause people to lose their lives. Yeah. Yeah. The word addict has become a really stigmatized word, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. I, I know we have a lot of mutuals that really work on trying to destigmatize language because, you know, it, it's just that way. Like the fact that we have the expression in my own family of a functioning addict, you know, like that's wrong. And uh, along with many oppressive, you know, phrases that we we just say and it's not okay anymore because now we've stigmatized people to the point that we can't get access to healthcare. And yeah. Exactly. I don't know how anyone sleeps that night, but obviously they sit on their little bed of evil quite nicely and enjoy their coffee and their and their timmies and whatever. That's what they do. So mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry to hear that. Do you think that there are things that my listeners, especially here in Alberta, can do? to um, not just help you, but also help others in the situation. Yeah. And this is also like definitely not just about me. It's also about others because I'm, I'm going to guess that there are more people than just me who struggle with addiction, who do not live close enough to go downtown like six times a day, for instance, or in my case, three times a day. Like that's just not feasible. It can't be done. And I think that the biggest things that people can do to help me and to help others like me is my doctor mentioned something. Hang on, I'm going to check on my phone to make sure I get this right because I wrote it down in notes. Um, if you go to um, the Alberta Health Services patient feedback forms, and submit a complaint slash care concern um, mentioning how this new legislation makes prescriptions inaccessible, things like that. 
talking about the harms that this is going to do. Because for me, I am absolutely terrified. I have worked so hard in therapy and with my prescription to get to a point where I'm not taking risks anymore, to get to a point where I'm happy to be alive. And I don't know what's going to happen to me. If I lose access to my prescription, I don't know what am I going to do. I don't want to go back on fentanyl, but for me, getting sober isn't working hard to go from something bad to something better. For me, getting sober is going from something that was in the fentanyl case, bad in this case with the hydromorphone is very good and very, very healthy for me is, is helping me to achieve a higher quality of life than I would otherwise. But for me, getting sober is going from fentanyl, which is bad to being sober, which is bad for a different reason, because my brain just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And it's even worse now because now I know what happiness feels like. Now I know what it feels like to wake up every morning excited for my day. I know what it feels like to not want to take stupid risks, to care about my health and my safety and my future. I am achieving a higher quality of life with my prescription than I ever could without it. In the summer, there was a radio program, uh, Alberta at noon, I think. And they had city council, I don't wanna say his name, answering questions about the, the problems on public transportation, the homeless urinating in the train cars and whatnot. And he, at least a couple of times referred to the homeless people as predators, predators. And shocking, but nobody corrected him, not even the show hosts or any of the callers that called in. Nobody said that they are not predators. They are desperate. Unfor unfortunate, desperate people who lost their homes, yeah. lost their way of life, who need help. Predators. Yeah. Like, it is so upsetting. And if they see people who need help, if they see them as predators, it, they are not willing to help. They don't care. They yeah. don't care. Yeah. They see them as burden. They see them as trouble who needs to be corralled off and just push them down the cliff. Well, and that's what ultimately they want. That's why, like, yeah. That's how it sounded to me. Yeah, no, 100%. That's that's the stigmatizing, um, you know, othering of a, of a group of people. Ironically, the most harmless group <laughs> ever, um, you know, it, and that's the sad, pathetic part is that if they actually sat and chatted with somebody, um, you know, I, I've, I've had pharmacists just look at me like, I can't believe you have a Narcan a day. There's like three homeless people in the parking lot that need it before I leave. You know, that's not even the rest of the week. So it, it is shocking to me how, you know, supposed educated people cannot see human beings as human beings. Yes. And that yeah. is because folks in leadership, like you just described, you know, use stigmatizing language and then absolutely nobody corrects it. <laughs> now as a society, you know? So I- I'm sorry, can I just- I'm just gonna mute us while Huxley is.
I need to go to work now, so I, I, I need to leave, but I really, really appreciate the platform that you've given to us, and she's going to stay with you if you need more from us or from her, but I, I need to go to work. Um, can I actually walk her down? It'll only take like two minutes. No, I just, I, can I always hug her like before she leaves, just, and I want to make sure I do that. Is that okay? I, but I have to get dressed first. Okay, well, then you get dressed. We'll keep talking once you're it was walking a, down. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you. Mom, what is your name? I am Marianna. Marianna Bolog. Nice to meet you. You too. Okay. Bye. Take care. Yeah, well, actually, you know, I really appreciate you coming on. We can actually wrap up now. So, you know, if, if there's any other messages that you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. And then um, if there's anything in the future that you're working on that you want us to share, you're welcome back anytime. Because, Thank you very um, much. I you have no idea how much that means to me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, we have to start seeing how we're interconnected. I know Canada has done a great job of othering Indigenous people. So people see it as, a, oh, that's them, not us. But um, this is <laughs> treaty is supposed to be about honoring healthcare. And that has never yeah. been done. Uh, you were talking about, you know, folks who don't live close to the Beltline. Holy hell, like I'm talking about all of Alberta where there's so much rural um, reservations that are, are yeah. you know, filled with people that have, don't have any access to healthcare whatsoever. And, and this is also like the only clinic in all in Calgary. Yeah. So it's not like I can go to a clinic that's closer to the house. There is no other. And that's the point. Like, that's why we should have safe consumption sites throughout the city. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it's uh, deplorable that we as citizens treat folks with handicaps, mental health, illness, addiction in the most deplorable eugenic style way that we can. And I don't know how these people sleep at night for voting in these folks. And I don't know how the people who put in these policies sleep at night either. So just so yeah. you know, to me, we should be in solidarity until Canadian yeah, truth, reconciliation, treaty partnership, we won't be. But you are welcome back to talk about Thank these you. issues because we're all affected by it and um so we much. have to work together in order to move forward together so yeah thank you so much one more message i would like to give is that like i have also experienced medical personnel being unkind due to my addiction not nearly at the same level that likely your viewers would experience because I have the benefit of being white. I am very, very privileged in that regard, but I still have experienced hardship due to being an addict. Like, I hope you understand like what I'm trying to Absolutely. get at there, yeah. but it was so hard for me to get my prescription, but I did not give up. I did not let people make me feel less than for being an addict. I openly admit that I am an addict and I don't hate myself for it. I don't think less of myself for it because that is the hand that I was dealt. And I know that I worked damn hard to get to a point where I am healthy, to get to a point where I am happy, to get to a point where I am safe. Some quick statistics. I have not had an overdose in the nearly two years that I've been on my medication. I have not had any hospital admissions. I have not needed a dose increase since February. And I have worked really, really hard to get to the point that I'm at. But even getting my prescription in the first place was very much so an uphill battle. Yeah. 
But the most important thing is do not give up. Do not let make people do not let people make you feel like you are less than because you are not. There is not one single person who is less than other than the people who knowingly hurt and don't value the lives of others. Mm. So just don't give up. And if anyone ever needs to talk to someone about harm reduction, to talk to someone about what they can do to make themselves safer, I am always thrilled to talk. That's what I do. I counsel people and I help them figure out what they can do to make their drug use safer if they're not ready to get sober. So I am always here and just don't give up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, what I'll do is I'll get some information from you, what you'd like to share publicly to get, so folks can get in touch with you. And um, okay. if there's not- Should I email that to you or? That would be great. Okay. And then I will uh, put it in the description and or just encourage folks who absolutely need help and are in Alberta to contact me at the minimum and we'll get you in touch yeah. with it that way uh, you can go from there Thank because so uh, to me, you know, I, I used to be a part of white um, bison society talking about mending broken hearts and, and healing trauma. But at the end of the day, folks just need love, support and community. And to me, exactly. and that's so important. Yep, exactly. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm going to do my exit. You're welcome to stay on and, uh, and jump in anytime you, you need to, and we'll go from there. Uh, I'm just going to make sure that I give my mom a hug. I'm just going downstairs to do that now. And then after that, I will stay on. I just need 30 seconds to give her a hug because that's really important to me. Her and I are, are so close now, honestly. Like when I was growing up before I got my prescription, we were fighting around the clock. She genuinely believed I hated her. I didn't. I hated myself and I was very, very angry and really struggling. But now that I have my prescription, now that I'm stable, her and I are so much closer than we've ever been. And that just makes me so happy. Like I, I really love her and I really appreciate how much support she gives me uh, I have more work that I need to do I haven't fully finished recovering once I finish paying off my debt I want to go back to school things like that but she has been so supportive and I love her so much wonderful. so I really really appreciate like how much better her and I are doing now I'm so lucky to have a mom like her that's great well thank you so much for coming on the show I appreciate it Thank you so much for having us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So for folks who don't know, we have um, the Indig Indigenous Book Club every month uh, on the second Monday. We have uh, the National Inquiry, uh, November 14th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, Chapter 7 and 8, Volume 1A. On December 12th, we have Standoff by Bruce McIver. He actually said he would be coming. Uh, for folks who want to do the actual action of reconciliation, uh, you can join our Reconciliation Action Group anytime and be a part of the solution as opposed to part of the issue. Um, and if you don't have a reconciliation, if you're not in Calgary and you don't want to be a part of that club, but you want to do your own, start your own uh, committee. But if I'm telling you, if you can't learn about Indigenous people, and you start doing action with that's not indigenous led you're not helping um 
Anyway, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety training or first aid, you know, all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 to speak. I want to say thank you to Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of What is Indigenous Cultural Safety and Why I Should Care About It. You can find that at heretohelp.bc.ca. Their work and those cultural action tools are available, so please support Indigenous work as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of uh, violence that marginalized folks experience through the structure of uh, oppression on these lands. You can go to racialequitytools.org and learn more about it. Donna Bevins has a good piece on internalized racism, but they have lots of resource files and I highly recommend everybody work on on here before we go out there. Um, Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So you can go to afsc.org and learn more about what to do when you see somebody being uh, treated poorly on the C train. Uh, we also have in Alberta um, acttoendracism.ca. You can text them at 587-507-3838. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing trauma in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, um, if they're cutting violence prevention programs, indigenous education, uterus health services, um, gay straight alliances, a lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, and now medical care, know that your vote for that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit. Provincially in Alberta, the Kenny government created 113 pathways to justice, so all you blue voters should be holding your blue MLAs to account. Follow the new Premier's Council on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Um, municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report, denying these reports as a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our police, or, or sorry, our people are experiencing extreme racism in the justice, educational, media, health institutions, with multiple reports that say the same things, demand change from, and accountability from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they have zero business running. Should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. Google articles on how to be how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked to today and want to talk, you can call the Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. And you can also go to their website at hopeforwellness.ca and they have a text option there. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is a national toll-free line that will provide um, emotional assistance relating to that issue. For non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area and a functioning 211, or you can call 833 
456-4566. 60Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta is at ssisa.ca. And again, um, I want to thank the Trevor Project for all of their LGBTQ2 plus crisis supports. Uh, if you are interested, you can go to lifevoice.ca. Uh, Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. And for youth, 866-844-7386. Um, so we talked a lot today about the uh, issues that were, and barriers that we're facing that I've been talking for months now on this podcast about. Uh, people are dying. People are dying on your watch. I hope you feel the blood on your hands because this is what is happening. If you know somebody who is using, using substances, first and foremost, do not use alone. If you are using alone, you can contact the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS, or you can download the two apps, Brave or DORS apps. Um, really important piece that we're going to include in this particular podcast that we haven't before, but we'll continue to do, is the AH, AHS uh, patient feedback. And we can write and let AHS know we do not agree with these changes that they're doing for drug policy. So please do that as a settler and as a person who claims to care about human rights. Uh, violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how I take my power back. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, even if they know nothing about us, nothing about colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous peoples, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. I and many others share info on microaggressions daily, so it is unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism, gatekeeping, and folks that survive off the status quo, a lot of folks in their trauma, and deplete all their personal resources. External and internal racism is an everyday reality for me and many others. Uh, especially folks with disabilities, uh, QT, BIPOC, and of course, Indigenous people. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, to my mommy, <laughs> to my granny, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. Is through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Uh, to my husband, Darcy, big Buffalo rock man, thank you for producing and editing this show on top of being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child, and support down my road of the red road. Um, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can go pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving a side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. 
my beautiful cousin respond or you'd be in my dish <laughs> thanks so much folks for listening i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you write uh, ahs